So on a day-to-day basis, I was going to the loo maybe 30 times a day. Wow. But it's pure blood. And so your insides are bleeding. And the only um, like method of like relief is steroids. So I was put on nine bouts of steroids in two years, which is obviously so dangerous. Right. Um, and I was on 65 tablets. I was in so much pain, mentally, physically, emotionally, also then socially, right? I couldn't eat, couldn't go even drink water. I wasn't like with my friends. And so at that age, when you are just about to build your life, mine was completely snatched away. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. And on this episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Maya Raichura. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Amazing. Maya is a founder, a mental fitness expert, and has eaten 400 melons in the last 18 months, as we just found out. True. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Good. I'm glad. I'm really excited. Amazing. So, visualization, love this as a topic, um, have been doing so much research around this over the last six months as well, but how do you define visualization for someone who has never heard about it before? So, um, visualization is the process of creating images, environments, and feelings in your mind before they've happened. Um, When you actually think about it, I think some people will compare it to like daydreaming. But what I'd say is visualization is the intentional act of daydreaming. So what you're doing is you are then intentionally training and rewiring the brain. Um, So if I'm honest, the actual skill is very simple, but we don't know how or why to use it. And that's where the kind of magic is. Um, And like, if I were to simply say, like, think of a, I don't know, a melon, for example, you know, we'd create the image in our head, Mm -hmm. but it's like, how can you use your imagination to actually apply it to your life or your goals or, you know, your health, things like that. So yeah, and it's been around for years, decades, in fact, especially amongst athletes, even in medicine, it's been very, um, very, efficient and prominent um but now i'm bringing it to the rest of the world i guess i love that and how important then is awareness alongside visualization because the way that i've always um really imagined it and and the way that i've always thought about manifestation is you know the universe will bring lots of opportunities there will be things that you can really um you know will into fruition but you need to have the awareness to take opportunities when they arise right so from my perspective if you're always trapped in your own mind and not able to really perceive what's going on around you, you will miss the opportunities that the universe is bringing to you. So how much is that awareness part of visualization or is it a totally different end to manifestation in that way? So I think um, when you boil it down to the basics, awareness is the foundation to everything we do, right? Like there are actually so many of us that are just living on autopilot where we just go through life, you know, just jogging and we don't actually look. And I think the awareness part of it is 100% the thing you have to do before you are, you know, going into actually getting the rewards of what visualization can can bring. And I think you, you frame it really well that... Um, so sometimes when I think people say like, oh, I don't believe in manifestation, it's a bit woo-woo, things like that. I'm like, yeah, cool, fine. Maybe that's not your language. Mm-hmm. What I try and tell them is that all you're doing is you are prepping your mind and body to see those opportunities. That's all it is because... The, the kind of like, um, the problem is most of us are already visualizing, but we're visualizing the worst. So like take a simple example of like someone building a company. 
always it's like, oh, but what if I fail? What if I go into this pitch and I go blank? What if, you know, people don't believe in it? That's always what's going round and round. So all this is doing is actually training your mind in a new way. So, okay, what if I go to this event and I network really well and I meet really great people? So now when you go to that event, you are going to walk in ready for that. You are going to show up in a way that will take those opportunities and will find them. And a really good example of this, um, so I've always felt very aligned to the sports world, especially like someone like Nike, right? I love what they stand for, things like that. And so I used to visualize, right, I want to do mental fitness with Nike, just see it exactly what the event looked like, things like that. And then, um, you know, because I'm wiring this in my subconscious, one day when I was walking on Oxford Circus, I um, was just about to go home. But I was like, wait a sec, I'm gonna go into the store, and I'm gonna find the store manager, talk to them and tell them about my idea. But I never ever would have done that if I hadn't have done my visualizations or I hadn't have trained my mind in that way. And so just something so simple like that. And people are like, oh, but how do you work with Nike? I'm like, well, because I visualize it and I train my mind. It's not that I'm saying I think of it and it just happens. Mm -hmm. That's not it. But it helps me create the action that is aligned to my goal. And so imagine if you can do it for just those tiny decisions. When you rack those up, you're changing how you live your life, basically. Yeah, 100%. And I think um, we're all very familiar with the concept of seeing someone else do it and that making it more feasible, like yeah. the four-minute mile, for example. Yes. No one thought it could ever be done. As soon as it, was, as it was done, everyone was doing it. But we have the ability to create those visuals in our mind, right? We don't need to wait for someone else to show us that that path is tangible. We can forge that pathway in the brain. So how do... How did you start with this? You said it's been 10 and a half years. What's your journey with arriving at visualization? Yeah. Um, so I guess I didn't learn it in a conventional way. I actually first started learning visualization um, when I was laying in hospital. So I'd been there for, well, it was my ninth time in hospital. And this particular time I'd been there for maybe two weeks. Um, and basically a nurse was like to me, she, she said, if you weren't here, where would you be? And I actually was like, get, like, get out of my room. That's really rude. Cause obviously I'm not anywhere else. Right. But, um, I had nothing to lose. And at that point I hadn't walked for a very long time because basically a bit of context here. So I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when I was 15. So colitis is an irritable bowel disease. Um, it is one of the most painful conditions in the entire world. Wow. So, um, I mean, I don't know if this is too much, but so on a day-to-day -day basis, I was going to the loo maybe 30 times a day, wow. but it's pure blood. And so your insides are bleeding and the only um, like method of like relief is steroids. So I was put on nine bouts of steroids in two years, which is obviously so dangerous. Right. Um, and I was on 65 tablets. I was in so much pain, mentally, physically, emotionally, also then socially, right? I couldn't eat, couldn't go even drink water. I wasn't like with my friends. And so at that age, when you are just about to build your life, mine was completely snatched away, like <coughs> completely. Um, and that was a very hard, I guess, experience to go through because I just I don't know you were told by so many doctors that like this is what life will be like mm. and so you believe it why would you not you have to believe the people in white lab coats they're they're the experts here and so when I started visualizing in hospital 
I first did it to learn how to walk again. Because all I would do is I was mentally rehearse, like one step at a time, just seeing myself in the hospital hallway, like taking little steps. And what I realized is that I just started gaining a little bit of hope or like motivation to just think, actually, maybe I don't have to be in this bed the whole of my life. And then I kept going. I kept using it for my pain. I used it for my goals. So I really wanted to go to Bristol to study. Mm -hmm. And so I saw myself there. I saw myself back home with my dog, with my family. And I just kept going and going and going. Then I left hospital and I basically dedicated this whole year to learning everything I could about the mind. Everything. So I trained with neuroscientists, meditation teachers, retreats, books, podcasts, all of it. And I just kept practicing. Because what's more better than you experiencing it yourself? Sure. So I kept going from like two minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, to now I visualize two hours a day. Um, and I overcame a disease that was meant to destroy me because of the power of the mind. And, you know, someone once told me, they were like, oh, but maybe you're just a one-off. Like maybe you're just that, you know, just that, that yeah, case study, right? Yeah. And I thought that too, because maybe that was the case. But then I learned that when you rewire the brain and you change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, right? And you actually physically change your brain, but then also how that changes your body and just how you navigate life, you can change anything. 100%. Like you really can, yeah. I mean, I, I had the situation earlier this year where no one really believes this because it's it's just such an extreme example of this. I have something um, really, really rare called trochlear dysplasia. So basically your kneecap sits in a groove. Um, when you bend your knee, your kneecap slides up and down. I don't have a groove, I have a bump. So my kneecap is highly prone to dislocation. I've dislocated my knees like 14 times. Super painful. And happened in May this year. Had the MRI scan. Um, they found that I'd torn the articular cartilage on my thigh bone, bottom of my thigh bone. And I was going to have to have a surgery to uh, pin that cartilage back. And then knee brace for 10 weeks, literally wouldn't be able to walk for 10 weeks, you know, just real write off for that period of time. And for two months, I was just like, cool, I'm just not going to accept that. And just kept on thinking about, you know, the best outcomes that there could be just kept on. I really didn't let it change my mindset or mentality at all. And very much focusing on being in the present, not letting my mind run away with worst case scenarios. And then had the surgery in July. And literally before the surgery, surgeon comes in and again, yep, got to pin it back, 10 weeks, knee brace, uh, got the surgery. And the doctor literally came back in and was like, I don't know what to tell you. The, the blood supply has, you know, managed to repair the cartilage. I have nothing to do. You're going to start walking again in two days. And it was literally as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, just so, so much gratitude, felt just unbelievably grateful for all of that. But again, I genuinely believe it was to do with the mentality of saying, I'm not going to accept that outcome. And, uh, and, and let's keep pushing. So with your experience, how quickly did you see um, improvements and how quickly did things start to change once you were able to unlock the power of the mind? Um, so the impact was immediate to the point of how I felt, right? So when you do a visualization, you will feel a change in your energy or just like about a situation. So I would feel that tiny bit of hope and motivation. It wasn't massive. It wasn't like a, a complete, you know, reset, but it was like a little bit each day. And then, um, you know, when you are dealing with your physical body, obviously it's going to take a little bit of time. When I was like learning to walk again and stuff and even like, so I used a technique called creative visualization. There's four types of visualization, but the creative visualization is one where I actually went into my gut mm -hmm. 
and I imagined what it looked like and I'd seen it because I'd had like a colonoscopy all of that and you use your imagination to make change on a cellular level now there's a great scientist called David Hamilton he's Scottish not sure why that's important but anyway also anyone with yeah. the last name Hamilton is definitely Scottish yeah. yeah and he does so much research in this and he works with cancer patients immune cells all of this and um You know what's so cool is I would go in and I would see like piranhas in my in my gut because that's what it felt like. It felt like piranhas were eating me and I would just kill them. I'd kill them with my mind. I know that sounds a bit weird, but actually does it because your mind doesn't know the difference between what's happening in your imagination and what's real. Yeah. So you you're using creativity to basically change it. And I'm not saying right then the next day I was completely fine, but. As I kept doing this, and I kept being very clear, seeing my colon very pink, very healthy, I then got colonoscopy. It was like uh, maybe like six, seven months later. And it was, I'm not going to lie, like it wasn't like completely different, but it was healing Mm -hmm. at such an accelerated rate that even doctors were like, we don't understand. Like, you're not on medicine. Why is this getting better? So genuinely, I was on nothing and it was getting better. And the only thing I was doing every single day was visualization. Mm -hmm. And today, if I look at my colon, it is so clean. And I think it just shows that, you know, if you're doing something quite big like that, give it time. Sure. But on a day-to-day basis, with visualization, when you do it, you know, once it will change immediately, but you will start to really feel a difference in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. In four weeks, you will see a difference. So how you act, how you show up, what you say. And in eight weeks, it becomes part of your identity. Now, beyond that, you can rewire the brain in 66 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's minimum 66 to about 90. That's how you can actually rewire it. So If people ask me, okay, like, you know, how long should I do this? One, I say that shouldn't be a question because, well, how long do you go for walks for? Do you ever question that? So in the same way, treat your mind in the same way. It's a long life. It's a lifelong journey. But, you know, if we're talking about the tangible change here, then, yeah, you can put it to two, four, eight weeks and then 66 days. So around a couple of months, you would have physically changed your brain. So you are going to be a different person. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, honestly. And it's it's so interesting to hear about the creative visualization. Yeah. Is that what you called it? Yes. Because I, um, to be totally transparent, I did um, psilocybin-assisted therapy, you know, not too long ago. Yeah. And had a really amazing experience with it where, and I am going to go somewhere with this, it's going to sound like a bit of a tangent, but obviously our all of the processes in our body are governed by our on unconscious brain, right? Because we don't want to utilize our working memory and our, and our, our <clears throat> you know, cognitive load to do all this background processing. So all of our processes are controlled by the unconscious brain, but we don't really have access to our unconscious brain because it's in the background. Things like um, encouraging neuroplasticity, creating more neural pathways between the conscious, subconscious and unconscious will allow us to have more impact there. But then also doing things like psilocybin-assisted therapy, meditation, things which can really accelerate, and visualization as well, from what, from what I understand, which accelerate that that connectivity there. You can feel at times like you are able to have more power over those unconscious processes. And when I was having this psilocybin-assisted therapy, I was literally in my brain telling my brain to repair my body and I could feel it at that cellular level exactly in the way that you're describing there. So I think it's a really interesting one. And out of interest, is that something that you have experienced? Is that something that you are um, you know, encouraging to promote neuroplasticity to develop more um, improvements in the brain in that way? Um, yes, 
I am. I think um, I think it's like any skill, right? When you are going to do it on a cellular level, you've got to mm-hmm. practice the process of visualization before you can really like master that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the really cool thing about visualization is that there's such a great short term impact where you can see it, you know, two weeks, four weeks, whatever. But long term, you are doing your brain a world of good because I kind of think of it as a proactive measure. Like I the way I think now is so different to what I used to think. And that's because I'm seeing that, okay, I can either think, right, what if I fail? What if I, you know, break down here? Or what if I learn something? And what if I succeed in two years time? Fine. Like just the way I think about myself, but also my role in this world is very different. Now, one thing I will say, I psychedelics, right? Like I struggle at times because I get it. The a psychedelic will open a part of your mind that we often can't really access. Mm-hmm. But you can access that same part if you are in a meditative state Agreed. or doing something like visualization. Agreed. The problem is we live in a society where we want the quick fix. Mm-hmm. We really do. And I will be I think this is the case, and I haven't really said this before. The reason I think I'm a little bit defensive about psychedelics is probably because I wish I had it 10 years ago. Mm. I wish when I was laying in hospital, someone could be like, take this pill and you will open something in your mind. Yeah, but I didn't Exactly, but I didn't get that. I put in the reps every single day. But one thing I have seen, and this is from people who have been doing these therapies or ayahuasca or whatever, you cannot sustain that Mm. you have to put in the reps you have to learn these skills for yourself and you know people who say to me yeah i did this like ayahuasca thing and now my anxiety's gone i i actually don't really reply because i'm like that's fine but like it hasn't just gone from your brain you have to sustain that Mm. mental fitness is not something that's just a quick fix where overnight it's fine but i unfortunately think with some psychedelics and how we talk about it it's like this very quick fix Mm. to like mental health and i think we have to be kind of careful with it because it's not for everyone absolutely and Uh, we don't know the side effects yet uh yeah i mean 100 percent. i think um you know completely agree with you you know i've been meditating for seven years because i think um and you know therapy for a long time throughout that because absolutely everything that you do needs to be integrative and part of a, a bigger process absolutely and i think it's so irresponsible to encourage people to experiment with psychedelics especially when they're not doing the rest of their integration work because ultimately it's like uh, the concept of um, unearned knowledge mm-hmm. uh, you know Carl Jung spoke about this a lot unearned knowledge and some doing something like psychedelics where you have these incredibly expansive experiences without having the knowledge the work all of the uh, infrastructure around that to support and process that I think it can be because that's what I did when I was 17 you know I had no idea what I was doing and um you know that 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 caused me a, a lot of issues at the time because I didn't have any of that that framework around it. So I think that's a, a really really um, important point to encourage responsibility around the usage of it. But I also um, completely agree with you that there are things that I've experienced now through achieving transcendental states in meditation that you know far eclipse experiences psychedelic experiences I might have had 10 years ago before I yeah. meditated. So I think that's a really good point. Um, mental fitness. Hmm. What what does that mean? Um, so I think people talk about mental health too much. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds a bit weird, but like, you know, I know someone has anxiety before I know their name and that is fine. But also what are we doing about it? Simple question. So mental fitness is 
the active maintenance of a good mental health. Mm-hmm. Mental health, everyone has it. If you've got a mind, you've got a mental health. It's like physical health, right? If you've got a body, you've got a physical health. And it tends to be, right, you're either physically healthy or not. But mental fitness is when you are proactively doing things like visualization or meditation, learning new things, journaling, doing quizzes to maintain this positive mental health. Now, think of it in physical fitness as well, right? You're only physically fit if you are going to the gym or you're doing yoga, dance, whatever. But I will mention as well, mental illness is when your mental health gets to such a low point that you do probably need some professional intervention, Same with physical health, right? Like if you're going to be physically ill, you will probably go to the doctor. But the reason I like mental fitness is because it's so much more empowering. It doesn't feel like this black and white thing. Mm -hmm. And mental fitness looks different for everyone because you have a different mind to everyone. So how you stay mentally fit, that's your experiment. You have to learn that. And that's why I never say that. I don't think visualization is the like black and white answer to mental health. And I'm never going to say that. If it works for you, it will work for you. And some people, fine, maybe it's not their thing and that's okay. I'm not going to like push you to do that. But I think, you know, what I've learned is this mental fitness concept means you are being agile. And I don't think it cures everything, but what it does do is it means you can handle life's challenges, handle your emotions better, learn how to manage them, learn how to feel them, but manage them. Also, being aware of your self-talk, also knowing that, okay, if something stressful is going to be happening in a few days' time, what can I do today that is going to help me? Mm -hmm. It's that sort of knowledge rather than us burning out and then feeling really rubbish and being like, yeah, my mental health's rubbish. Mm. Of course. But we need to actually take these proactive steps. We always wait till the end or till we're like, you know, it's too far that then we need to be reactive rather than proactive. Yes. So I think mental fitness is the sexiest thing like to do because it's empowering, it's proactive, it's taking control of your mind, which navigates everything. Mm, it's really interesting. It's, it's almost a similar concept to taking supplements rather than having to take medication later, right? It's being proactive and getting ahead of issues and saying, well, what can I do now to um, preserve a quality of life or a quality of health or quality of mind? rather than how am I going to have to fix this when I'm not attaining to myself and I'm not treating myself properly. Yeah, and what can I do to repair? Mm. Like, the the cool thing is, because your brain is so elastic, and what, it's in the last 10 years that we realised that whilst, yes, after 25, it's harder to mm-hmm. change the brain, it's definitely possible. Yeah. But it's possible when you are more intentional with the exercises, which is why, like, even if you are healing from something that happened years ago or a trauma or just like even an injury or you having a breakdown, you know, ages ago, you can still heal from it. Yes, your brain is going to remember, but you can actually do the work to kind of come back to neutrality again. But a lot of us don't realize that we're just just adding and adding and adding. And so I, I think that's why it's also really cool is that you can sometimes think that, oh, like, I'm too far gone, but it's not. Mm. Like, you have the power to really change stuff. Yes, absolutely. And I believe genuinely within six months, everyone can change their lives. Mm. And it genuinely, as long as you're being disciplined and committing to doing the reps every day, as you said, six months, you can go from pretty much anywhere to anywhere. Um, I know that might be a bit simplistic, but I think so much... Um, of it is around diet as well, the way that people are eating, the way that people are, are, you know, fueling themselves and the impact of that on the mind. And how do you see the mind-body connection that way? Obviously, you, you see that mind can influence body, but how much does body influence mind? 
So, um, I think um, we live in a world where we can speak English, Spanish, French, but no one speaks the language of their mind and body. We just never learn it. Now, the mind does control the body, but the connection is so complex that often your body will speak to you before your mind does. Mm -hmm. So things like intuition, which there are four types of intuition. You've got your gut, you've got your chest, you've got your head, and you've got your full body. Now, for some people, it'll be their gut feeling, but for others, it won't be. So you have to be aware, how does your body speak to you? It's always speaking in whispers. You have to listen to it. And so often with like chronic disease and illness, your body has told you signs ages ago. You just haven't listened. Mm. Because the mind is very good at then being like, no, no, push through. Like being tired is weak or you're a founder. You have to do 90 hours a week or whatever it is. And so the body is so clever. And I'm sure, have you heard of the book, The Body Keeps Score? No, I haven't. Okay, so the, probably my biggest takeaway from this book is that experiences and emotions stay in your body for seven years. Yeah, makes sense. Seven years. Something that happened to you in school is literally in your cells like seven years later, mm. unless you actively are helping your body or letting go or, you know, doing things that are going to let it release. Um, and if you look at like um, dogs, they're really interesting. As soon as, you know, if they get in a fight, they shake after, they like shake it all out. Mm -hmm. It's that because basically to get it out their body, they are literally shaking it out. So every single day when I wake up, first thing I do, dance. Yeah. I put on Taylor Swift, shake it off and I go. Wow, okay. Because I'm just shaking off any stress from the sleep or the night before take it out. Otherwise you just take it on and on. And actually that is one of the biggest reasons I got colitis in the first place is because I've, I like allowed jealousy and anger and resentment to just fester in my mm. stomach for years. And I think the body is very knowledgeable, but you've got to learn the language of it. You've got to listen to it and kind of like treat it like um, it's on your side, but you do have to spend time actually being like, oh, okay, it's saying this to me, or yes. maybe I need to listen. Like, a very simple thing. Um, how many times do you see someone yawn and they just continue to work for about 10 hours? Or you see someone be like, yeah, I've actually got such a bad headache. Take a pill, keep working. Mm. That is your body just being like, give my brain a tiny bit of rest. It doesn't have to be you go on holiday for two weeks. Just take two minutes, give your mind a rest, and then move on. But we don't do that. We just push through and push through. And our bodies are machines. They're incredible. But they're also quite fragile. Mm. You know, and so we have to... Um, learn that interaction between the two. But what I would say is your mind is still, it's its the G, it's in control yeah. most of the time. Okay, really interesting. And for someone who, you know, has had an interest in improving their, their mental fitness, I'd say, what, what would you suggest as a starting point for them? Sit in a room without your phone for 10 minutes and do nothing. Close your eyes and just do nothing. Some people will find this horrible because mm. they're going to have so many thoughts. And have you have you heard of that experiment where so they got men and women to basically do exactly this. Um but they could either sit in the room for 15 minutes and just be with their thoughts or they got to electric shock themselves and leave. 72% of men electric shock themselves and left after how long <laughs> uh, like well to have one guy bless him he literally was like the thought of it was like absolutely not he he electric shocked himself five times to get out 
the women, it was about 58%. Okay. And I, I mean, that's not that surprising. But what is surprising is the fact that we're so scared to sit with our thoughts. Mm. And I get it. Like, it can be scary, right? They all just come in. But that is a good starting point. If you cannot spend time with your own and be okay with your mind, then it's like, well, you're just ignoring things or you're escaping things or you're suppressing things. So getting comfortable with, yes, okay, there are lots of thoughts, but I can control them. Mm. And so I'd start by doing that. And then I think it's about workshopping what works and doesn't work for you. You know, it's those little things like whether it's taking a bit of breath work or doing some visualization, maybe it's dancing, whatever it is. But every day, just do one little win for your mind. Mm. That's it. Love that. I think that's a really nice starting point. And you're so right. I think 90% of people build their whole lives around trying to avoid facing themselves. You know, the amount of people that I see who are you know, getting married immediately, having kids immediately, doing all these things immediately, because it's almost like a uh, just a, a race against not facing actually how they feel. And I don't mean to, you know, uh, uh, denigrate any life choices or, or the way that people live their lives. If it's working for them, that's great. But I think you do see a lot of people, and that, that study that you mentioned um, quantifies that perfectly. 70... 8% of people, you said? 72% of men 72 and then 50 percent of women. Right, so that's a, a huge amount of us who are just terrified to face what's really going on. Uh, and I think it is really difficult when you start meditating. Um, and again, super grateful that I, I began that journey a few years ago now. But I know that when my mind is at my busiest, that's when my mind is at my most chaotic. And I know that when I'm not in control of my thoughts, that's when my relationships don't have the quality in them that I want. Relationships with myself, my body, my health, my friends, girlfriend, whatever it is. Um, so I think there is so much to be said about this. One question I have for you, mm. maybe slightly more philosophical, but mental fitness, I said this to you, right? You know, you're, you must be on top of everything. Your life must be so put together. Um, but the reality of every human is we are dark and light. We are, you know, shadow as well as sun. So how much do you stress an importance on integration and owning darkness rather than saying well part of mental fitness is to you know remove darkness because i think a lot of people go down this journey where they you know try to be something which no human can be which is just a perfect person so where does accepting recognizing and having compassion for the darkness in every single human uh, come into mental fitness i think that's a brilliant question um so for a very long time on my phone background, this was the statement I had. Um, sunshine all day makes a desert. Mm -hmm. Simple as. You just can't be happy all the time. It's not, it's not human. And life is about kind of like going through those different storms or different weathers. But the point is like, can you be the sky? You be consistent. Let the sun come, let the clouds come, let the rain come. But you find your grounding. Now, if I'm honest, also, you know, I say if I'm honest a lot, but apparently it, de it belittles what I actually say. So I'm going to not say that now. Um, I'll still trust you. Yeah. Worry, yeah. I I have a really dark side. Yeah. And, and I think um, for a long time, it was um, really consuming and I judged myself a lot for it. I mm. felt so much shame mm. because my dark side can be often like, competitive but I know everyone's competitive but to the point that like I used to resent a lot of people 
and like hate on people if they were better than me. And I actually, when I was young, was in um, like England badminton. So mm. I was always in these like high pressured situations. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to win because I wanted to win. I wanted to win because I didn't want to lose. And what it meant is I was like creating so much jealousy, resentment, envy in my life. And I never knew how to express it because I just felt so ashamed. Mm. I felt like such a bad human being that why can't I be happy for this person? Or why can't I just accept it? And it's only to be fair in the last maybe like four or five years that I really like um, dived into jealousy, envy, things like that. And yes, it's a very human emotion, but also like accepting that like, my it's okay. It probably comes from you not feeling very good enough. Mm. And yes, it can often feel quite dark, but you have a choice here. You, you let it linger and it, you let it consume you and you basically judge yourself again. And there's a great um, Buddhist parable or like- How cold? The, the arrows. Okay, go on. So it's the arrows where like, um, I mean, in a very short story, it's like you, when something happens to you, it, like it hurts, mm-hmm. you're, it's like a first arrow in your, in your like arm. Your reaction to what just happened, how you judge yourself, what you're feeling, it's a second arrow. So you're then mm-hmm. cons- consistently torturing yourself about it. And actually on a scientific um, point of view, we have two emotions, primary emotions and secondary emotions. Mm-hmm. Primary is like, you know, in that, that just moment, you may feel anger or whatever. We actually don't have much control over that. Secondary emotions, the ones that linger, that's how you react to the anger. Mm-hmm. That is what we do have control over. So an emotion will stay with you for 90 seconds. And after those 90 seconds, you can actually release it. But so many of us, we get an emotion and then we think, oh my God, this happened again. Or, oh my God, like this person's going to judge me. So then it stays and stays and stays. So those 90 seconds become 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then it's like 90 days. And then you like, it's your whole mood, right? Then it's a brain tumor 10 years exact- later. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And so knowing that emotions are just energy in motion, they have to move is very important. And I think, you know, I always used to think I was too emotional. That was like a really dark part of me that, you know, I have felt too much of this jealousy or anger. But now I've become emotionally fearless where I'm like, Maya, just feel it, mm-hmm. feel it. No matter how dark it is, as dark as it can go, feel it so that you can heal it. Mm. And I actually practice a type of journaling where if someone opened it, I would probably go to jail. Okay, like yeah. it goes very dark. <laughs> but if I'm feeling it or thinking it, then it needs to come out somehow, right? Mm. Otherwise, like, you know, shame, embarrassment blocks us from actually taking it out. So if it's there, put it out there, rip it up, throw it away. But don't be afraid of the darkness like you need it Mm. and one thing i would say is um the darkness makes you appreciate the light so much yes you know like i um just being in in especially with your health like you know you obviously feel like the best way to just relieve this is to just not live anymore um and that's dark Mm. but that has helped me appreciate that every morning i wake up I'm like, this is amazing because I'm waking up. Simple as. And my light became bigger, but in smaller things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started finding the extraordinary in the ordinary, and I love it. Like, I it's a very simple thing, but I was walking on London Bridge like a few days ago, and the sunset was amazing. There were two people who were actually looking at the sunset. Everyone else mm-hmm. just on their phones walking. And like, we're not in that much of a rush that you can't just glance and be like, wow, 
Like it's amazing. And so find the joy, find the extraordinary and just the tiny things in your life. And that's what it really taught me to do because, you know, it life's too short not to feel that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So much amazing stuff in there. I think that point on gratitude is so important because once you, you know, have a genuine bit of perspective over the position that you're in, for example, we are not, you know, slaves in an iPhone factory building iPhones for 18 hours a day, right? When you realize just how lucky you are to be in the situation that you're in, it almost becomes impossible not to find extraordinary in the ordinary. I can go to the gym tomorrow because actually I can walk. I know where my next meal is coming from. I have a roof over my head. Things which billions of people around the world would take in an instant. You know, once you have that perspective, and I think that um, humility to just understand exactly how lucky you are to be in that position, your your life just gets immeasurably better and you're so much more appreciative for those things just by virtue of actually realizing what you have. So I think it's a, a really good point. Shame is is super interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I think it, shame is um, something which either, I don't know if, if religion created, I don't know if it's something which we just, you know, innately have within us, but it is probably the most powerful thing and stops people living um, lives in incredible way. I spoke to someone recently who um, came from a religious background who got married and had a five-year marriage that they hated because they were going to hell for kissing this person and not getting married, you know? And it, it's it's those sorts of things which when you, you know, understand the impact that shame can have on, um, on, on, on your life, right? It's just something which you need to destroy immediately. Um, so much that I want to talk to you about. Uh, one last question I have for you before we go into the, the normal questions that I ask everyone is embracing the shadow right our our, you know dark elements and aspects of our personality and our lives and our experiences i think we are all under such immense immense pressure from social media and maybe me and you are you know as guilty of this as anyone else um but because of social media this idea that people are living perfect lives you know this idea that people are Um, only light in that way and I think it stops people then being able to be honest about their their darker elements within relationships within the workplace you know within lots of different parts of their lives but ultimately that just leads to building up more and more negative energy and and these things explode everywhere what do you suggest to someone who has you know an acute awareness of this darkness but is struggling to own it and to be open about it with other people because i think that's where a lot of people get depressed is that shame for not being able to um be open about these things and and really live with it is what causes a lot of of negative mental health so so how would you um speak to someone who's going through that so i think so i think when someone has dark sides to them and, and things like that um they often come from somewhere um so i think first and foremost that awareness of just being like maybe when i was a kid like the reason i'm actually really jealous because i was born into uh three sisters mm-hmm. and so i was the youngest and i just i needed to shout in order to be heard because that was just that was literally it Nothing actually traumatic happened, but I just grew up believing that the only way to be heard was if I had to be the best, I had to be the loudest, all of that sort of stuff. So first, understand where it comes from. Two, ask yourself, do you actually want to change it? Do you? Because often it's like we're always trying to move move from the dark to the light, but do you want to change it? You know, some of the best entrepreneurs 
are there because their darkness is what did it. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that's the case for everyone and I don't think it's a long-term situation, but ask yourself, do you want to change it and why? Now, I don't think it's enough to just be like, be aware of it and then share it with people. I think you have to take action because your dark side will, like it can consume you. So it's learning, okay, how do I manage it? And I think the thing that really helped me was seeing my dark side as maybe a bit of like a person or like a cartoon kind of thing and just being like, okay, if it was a person, what would I do? And so like sometimes with embarrassment, right? Or like uh, jealousy and things, the more you push it away, the more it's gonna come at you. So I was like, right, what if jealousy is a person? What does it need right now? And in different situations, maybe it just needed a hug. Maybe it needed me to be like to myself, Maya, like, it's okay, look how far you've come. Maybe I actually did need to go to that person and be like, hey, I'm feeling a bit jealous of you. Mm. Like, I don't know what to do, I need a bit of space. Ask it what it needs, kind of like personify it, be creative with it. Um, but I think that's what's really key is learning how to express it in a way that you feel safe with. And that takes a bit of time. Um, and so, yes, talking to people is great. But I think the big, big question is, is what do you want to do about it? If you think that you can have it as a fuel and it can be healthy for you, then great. That's about managing it. If you don't want it, that's a bit different because often we're like, oh my God, I just never want to feel this again. That's a little bit hard, right? We are human and you'll probably get triggered sometimes, but you can definitely make it a lot better and better. And that is where you can then rewire a lot of that part of you. Um, and one thing just about shame is, sh shame is a killer. It's mm. a silent killer. You know, I didn't tell anyone about colitis for six years, but that's also because culturally it's seen as weak to have an illness. Mm. And at the time I didn't really clock it, but oh my God, like to not even share it with my family and things like that was horrible. Wow. And so shame, you just are building these like big concrete blocks in your heart, literally in your heart, because you're not letting yourself be who you need to be. And the best way to just uncover shame is to, yes, just speak it out. Even if it's not to someone, just say it out mm. loud. It's so important. Um, just one other thing from what you said is, um, you know, you were saying about, sometimes you can compare your situation to someone else and you can feel a bit more gratitude. Mm. I remember someone being like to me, but Maya, like, imagine if you had this illness, but you, were, you didn't have the hospital. And you know what? It just made me more angry mm. because it felt like it belittled what I was going through. And I have actually explored this a little bit more where like some of my friends used to be like to me, oh, but Maya, like, I don't want to share my problems with you because obviously yours is bigger. What I realize is that like problems, dark sides, things like that, they don't discriminate. Whether you are 50, 15, black, white, whatever, you will feel it. And in your world, it is the biggest thing ever. So if you've just broken up with your girlfriend or boyfriend and I'm laying in hospital dying, you actually can't compare it because in her world, yeah, it's the biggest thing ever. And in my world, this is my biggest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that because we're very quick to compare each other's successes and problems. It's like, oh, they went through a much harder time than me. Like they deserve this. But in your life, like that is how you've interpreted it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I used to resent people for being like, you've never been through anything like hard. Mm -hmm. But I realized that actually in their world, they have. And so it's just about seeing that emotions, shame, does not discriminate mm, of course of and course. that's really interesting 100 100 and um absolutely it's all relative right in yeah. that way and in your most um extreme scenario may objectively be less extreme than another but still from a yeah. relative experience perspective absolutely um so totally agree although i think um 
for sure for me it's been a really useful one to just always check you know my yes. uh, my, my my position and, and, um, and the privilege right like even yeah. the fact that I'm in a hospital yeah. is like yeah I see the privilege we yeah. all won the postcode lottery by being yeah. born somewhere where there are hospitals yes, right so exactly yeah. um, okay cool five questions for you not quick fire or anything but my first one is what's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome Um, I guess the biggest risk was deciding to come off 65 tablets without any, with, with actually doctors being like, you should not do this. This is risking your life. Um, probably my biggest risk. And my outcome is I'm the healthiest and happiest I've ever been. Now I'm not saying people should do that. Um, I still consider it a very irresponsible risk to this day. Would I do it again? Probably not. But it's where I am. And I think you choose your risks. Um, but this is just the outcome I'm in because I felt like I was strong enough to fight for my body and mind without them. Love that. Big disclaimer. Don't come off your meds. We're not <laughs> suggesting that, but but love that. Love that. Okay, cool. My next one for you is what are you proudest of? Um... I'm proud that every single day I continue to work on myself. Um, I think there's so much I have to do and there's many dark sides to me and there's things I'm definitely working on, but I'm really proud that I will continue to invest in myself every single day. It gives you the biggest return on investment. There's very minimum risk, but you know, a lot of guarantee there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just proud that I continue to invest in myself, even if it's in the tiniest of ways. Yeah, that's an amazing answer. And um, totally agree with you. I think uh, one of the things that I've been going really back and forth with a lot over the last couple of years is every time I think I figured it out, mm. something will happen which will just totally throw it all into question or, or make me have to consider a different perspective. So I think the daily investment into maintaining and managing that uh, relationship with mind is is incredibly important so great answer okay my next one for you is is there anything you wish you did differently oh, so many things um i mean ov the obvious answer is i wish i did like you know listen to my mind and body when i was younger but at that point i didn't have that level of consciousness or education um is there something i do differently No, I, I think I none of the things I did were in my control necessarily. Um, so no, I, I don't think there is anything I could have done differently. Mm -hmm. There are many things I wish I had done, like not taking nine bouts of steroids, things like that, mm -hmm. but nothing, um, nothing that I think was in my control at the time. Nice, okay. What does it take to be successful? other than delusion. <laughs> um, well, obviously it depends what success means. Um, but I think first and foremost, what it takes to be successful, you've got to see it. You've got to see it before you do it. And I think, you know, it's probably a bit of a cliche answer, but um, there's a very big difference between someone believing in you or your company or your thing and then you believing in yourself so some may call it delusion I don't know but you know what like I think yeah to really be successful and whatever that means for you you've got to see it in your mind first so then you can create it that's what I would say
and some of the biggest successful people in the world. Take like Nikola Tesla, Walt Disney, Michael Phelps. This is exactly what they believe in. And so, yeah. Yeah, uh, super interesting. And one thing which uh, I spoke to someone recently about, they were struggling to do that. And I think it's a really useful exercise because the reason they were struggling to do that is because actually they didn't know what they wanted. Right. So I think the, the practice of visualization is a really, really good one for people to check in with themselves to say, well, actually, do I know where I'm heading? A lot of times people feel a bit aimless and it's a really yeah. good one. You know, if you can't visualize it, maybe because you don't know what it is. And I actually think to add on to my answer, if you truly want to be successful, stop focusing on what your life looks like and start focusing on how you want it to feel simple as follow what makes you feel alive where you feel the most peace joy like the the things you do will come but we just need to we're in a world where it's all about what it looks like on whether it's media even to others right to our family yeah yeah like this is going really well Mm. who cares focus on what it feels like that's where you should be putting your energy all right 15 year old Maya walks in the room right now what are you going to tell her learn to let go learn to let go because that is the thing that's going to ruin you um Letting go, I think, is one of the most powerful skills and experiences to learn and maintain. Once you've let go, let go again. Um, we're very good at holding on. And yeah, I would tell her, just let go. That's great. Okay, where can people find you? Um, so I'm very loud on LinkedIn, to be fair. But if you want some like daily doses of mental fitness and visualization, then that's where you want to go. Also Instagram and then um, my company Remap. So we do a lot of events and collaborations with like, you know, big brands to get the world visualizing. Amazing. Maya, you're a legend. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.